Andrea Agnelli was quoted that only children or hardcore fans could possibly concentrate for 90 minutes and we should shorten games. Well, we don't know which camp his players fall into, but they definitely stopped at the 70th minute mark. It's Friday, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 51, season 2 of the Anglo-Italian pod. Of course, as always, I am Tommy, and I'm joined by my very good friend and very good co-host, Mr. Rory Criscuolo. How are You're you? Very kind. Hello, Tommy. How are you? How are we doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Hello, listeners, as well. I should really say that. I'm not just uh, ignoring you guys. Yeah, I'm all right. I, I'm all right. We're getting towards the end of the week. I'm a little bit disappointed about the result last night, but not too disheartened. How Juventus went on definitely took a bit of this thing out, but we'll get on to that. Um, mainly, I'm aching because I've actually finally gone back to playing football. I took a couple of weeks off because I was being lazy, and I went back to playing this Tuesday. Um and now, you know how, like, the first day after, you're like, oh, I think I got away with it. And then the day after, the day after, you get the muscle aches. And I was, like, walking around the school a little bit limping today, which was, was a little bit embarrassing. And I'll be honest, what was more embarrassing was, you know, after you've not played football for ages, yeah, your first touch is always, like, awful. And someone passed me the ball, and I just... It came to me, and I just completely froze, and I was, like, trying to get the ball out of my feet, and everyone was just looking at me, and I was like, I, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. Um, that's, why I'm not, minute... that's why I haven't played real football in, like, more than five years, <laughs> because I'm afraid <laughs> of that first touch again. Well, I was like, and I was like, okay, right, and I, I have to really get in my head, and I was like, right, it's done. Don't worry about it. Just move on. Your next pass will be great. And then I was trying to be like Meza Ozil or Erdegaard, and I was doing these back heels, right? And there was there was this new American guy, and he seemed nice enough, but after like the third back heel that didn't come off, he was just like, oh, come on, man, just stop it, right? I was like, all right, calm down, calm down. But by the end of the game, I did manage to do a back heel nutmeg that set up a goal, and I just turned around and winked to the American guy. I don't know if he appreciated it that much, because it was the first time I met him, but... It was all right. It was all right. It was good to get out there and play again. Did, did you guys win? Oh, I don't know. We we I've no idea. We played for like an hour and a half, and it's just constant. Like apparently, there's a system, but I can never keep up with it. Um, yeah, it's like plus one, plus two, even minus like plus two for the other team, whatever. It's always like I don't know if the first team to score three and then we start a new game, but it's the same team, so it's basically just the same game. I don't know, but I did score two, which was nice. Beautiful. I'm doing fine. Um, on Monday, I had my trial at my school's kindergarten, and it was a very fun experience. As our friend, the friend of the pod and the fellow English teacher, Michael, said, teaching at a kindergarten can be either the easiest or the most difficult job on the planet. I felt like it was the easiest job on the planet. I'm kind of worried, was I, were I to take up that job about my mental health? Um, I spent 20 minutes having a very serious conversation with a kid who claims to go to the moon every single week. And <laughs> well, ma- to be fair, Tommy, I'm pretty sure we've had that conversation on a night out or two. I'm pretty <laughs> yeah. sure that's happened. It, yeah, you see, it's just like... There was this very good French stand-up comedian, I don't remember his name, who did this whole stand-up yeah. bit about basically <laughs> comparing kids to drunk people. And there are a lot okay. of yeah. similarities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of similarities. The way they speak, the things that they say, 
And so, you know, after 30 minutes of sustaining a conversation like this, when your colleague asks you, your adult colleague asks you something serious, you kind of have to recalibrate your brain to, all right, I was talking to a child who is clearly lying big time. And now I'm talking to an adult and we're talking about work. So I don't know what my future holds for me. It was an interesting experience. Um, it was also cute to, to see what relationship they have with football. They just know like, oh, like that team sucks. And you're just like, yeah. so what team do you support? And then you ask them and they have like three teams. It's like, so I support Atalanta, Inter and Juventus. And you're just like, all right, you're going to come to a conclusion soon, I hope. I definitely remember being like that as a kid. Like one week, I just have a new favorite team because this I'd seen them on TV, if you know what I mean. I think it's like, yeah, I do like that. I don't know, I enjoy teaching the young kids, but it does get a little bit much. And I got sick of Baby Shark pretty bloody quickly, I'll be honest. Baby Don't, because listeners, I apologize. It's now going to be stuck in your head. All you have to do is say those two words and it's stuck in your head. Baby Shark, Baby Shark, Baby Shark. (laughs) Please remember to follow us on our social media accounts, Instagram at AngloItalianPod, Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, and give a cheeky little follow to our sponsor as well, as well at Sports Club Maps. They make maps of sports clubs, not only football, every sport you can possibly think of, from hockey to chess, maybe, from cricket to lacrosse, anything you want. Go check out their website. We are ready for episode 51. Today, we are, of course, going to review all of the Champions League action. We're going to talk a lot about Juventus and Manchester United, I have a feeling. (laughs) It's going to be fun. And since, uh, as we are recording, it's St. Patrick's Day, we are going to have a cheeky little special about the Irish national team, but namely, which players in general would we like to celebrate St. Patrick's with in front of a one, two, three, four, five, maybe six pints of Guinness. And at the end of the episode, of course, our weekend preview for the games across Serie A and the Premier League. Rory, are you ready to take the blimp? Yeah, sorry, I'm ready. I'm absolutely ready. Despite that delay, I am definitely ready. Let's do it. We are recording on a Thursday, but for you listeners, it's a Friday. And at 12 p.m. today, we will know what the quarterfinals of the Champions League hold for us. Manchester City, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Liverpool... Chelsea, Villarreal, (laughs) Benfica and Atletico Madrid are the teams that have qualified for the next round. Let's take a look at this week's action, starting from Chelsea Lille. Rory, what have you got to say about the Blues who are riding comfortably through the storm, I would say? Well, Chelsea, yeah, despite all the noise and all the chaos going on around Stamford Bridge, around the players, around the manager, they seem to really be galvanised by this. And I think Thomas Tuchel is really, really showing how great a leader he is, how great a manager he is, and how, um, yeah, how fantastic he is at being able to keep that team spirit, keep the team focused, and keep these players, like, galvanised. It is incredible. I think when we... We've talked about other managers who are working for maybe other morally dubious clubs and them not handling it as well. I think Tuchel has done very well. Um, For Chelsea, it was great to see them just taking a casual stroll around Lille. I did for a moment 
think that they were looking for somewhere to sleep. Like maybe they couldn't afford a hotel. Was I was like, going to oh, make. I was going to make. There's a few benches joke. together there. If we just like all huddle together, we should stay warm. But um, for the game, it was fairly comfortable for them. It got off to a bit of a rocky start. A handball uh, by Jorginho, which I think, I think it hit him before it hit his arm. But under the modern handball rules, it's a penalty. Baruch Yilmaz. Yeah, he's still about guys and still scoring. Scored an incredible free kick pass, uh, free kick penalty past Mendy, pro- like absolutely into the side netting, just exactly where you need to put it. Great penalty. But then from there, Chelsea had the better of the chances. Chelsea were the dominant team. Pulisic with a beautiful right-footed finish into the left bottom corner past the goalkeeper. And as Piliqueta meeting a really good cross from Mount to make it 2-1. Just a professional performance from Chelsea, um, exactly what they needed. We'll figure out how they'll get to their next European game at some point, or they'll figure it out. Um, But one player who did stand out for me for Lille was um, Bambia. I want to get his name right. Bambia? Bambia. Bamba. Yeah, Bambia. Bamba. 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 He was really lively the entire game. There was a moment where he absolutely ruined Marcus Alonso, like nearly broke his ankles from a dribbling around him, which was beautiful to see. Put in a couple of great crosses for Yilmaz to get on the end of. He just couldn't quite put them away. But all in all, a very comfortable passage through for Chelsea ahead of their FA Cup quarterfinal this weekend, which we're going to get onto, and the antics that they've been trying to do that haven't quite matched Tuchel's um, behavior off the pitch. Right. Yeah, as you were saying, it's really impressive to see how Tuchel has managed to keep the team alive, how actually they might be even thriving from this situation. Can we say a very German approach and very German leadership to the whole mess? I think I think we could say that. Um, I feel like Klopp, even whenever questioned about hard questions about politics, the club, or whatever is involved, is always very practical, goes straight to the point, says, I'm a football manager. I'm going to do my job. I don't care about all the rest. So, But I think I don't think it's that. I think what they do is they actually address the issue, and they always seem to be on the, if there's a right side, on yeah, the right on the- side of it. Like Klopp weirdly became one of like the main voices in the UK about being sensible about COVID. And like Tuchel has been fairly like, look, we know who our owners are, but he was fairly like down the line. He criticized them without going overboard and criticized them mm-hmm. without sitting on the fence. I think I'm impressed by both of them constantly on their on their stances on social issues. Like that's generally. that's actually a very good point. And with Lille out, it means that there are no more French teams left in this year's Champions League. Au revoir. That's my Au revoir. And also arrivederci. Because there are no more Italian teams as Inter Milan. Where, what do you want oh, no, to say? Go, no, go, yeah. on, go on, go on, go on, go on. No, as, as Inter Milan say goodbye after their win at Anfield. And Juventus say arrivederci. After their win, their loss, sorry, at home to seventh place in La Liga Villarreal. I was going to ask you before you go on, I was going to ask you a question, Tommy. Who is the only Italian team to win a Champions League knockout game this tournament? It was Inter Milan. 
There you go. There's your trophy. You've done it. The only you, Italian team it. to win a knockout game. There we go. We've done it, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, jolly, jolly. What a good evening I had last night. Actually, <laughs> it was one. Again, if the first leg wasn't boring enough, the second leg amazed me in boredom. Except the first half, I want to say the first 30 minutes of the first half where Juventus tried to get a goal, there was a good rulli right away mm -hmm. was having a night he had a very good few saves one on Vlaovic Vlaovic of course got the crossbar uh on a, a very good play uh he kind of you know uh, was able to to meet this cross in a very crowded box but after that it just kind of came to a stalemate and it was weird and even the commentators on uh, Amazon Prime Italy they addressed it multiple times they we're just like if you didn't know the result of the first leg you would think that one of these two teams is leading because yeah, yeah, yeah. they are both playing very defensively and there isn't much of a fight being put in the pitch Man, it's just amazing to... I was about to fall asleep until Rugani decided that the team needed... The, 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 the match needed some awakening and decided to foul the forward for a penalty kick. And it was 1-0, and uh, then it was 2-0, and before you know it, it's 3-0. What an exciting... 15 minutes of football it was at the end of that game. It, it was a fairly blatant penalty. The penalty was pretty obvious, awful. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why he's diving in there. The fact that Regani is still starting as a centre-back for Juventus kind of blows my mind. The fact that they seem to refuse to move on from the fact that Chiellini and Bonucci are human and get old is a bit mad. They still haven't invested in centre-backs. I don't think Regani is good enough. Except that performance last night kind of highlighted it. Except for the league, that's been a pretty good investment this season. However, but there, there's even rumors that he could leave, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, it feels like he's not very happy over at Turin. I understand why. And uh, well, he at the end that game was already decided on the two nil. But then he also mm -hmm. was quite unlucky. He really tried to dive with his entire body to to stop that shot. He just put his hand down before the rest of his body, and yeah, yeah, he was yeah. unlucky to hit it with his hand. Um, well, we also need to talk about the defending for the second goal. <laughs> How Pau Torres finds himself with no one around him. Yeah. All you see is Vlavic glance, and by the time he's glanced, it's too late. He's realized his foot's missed the ball completely. Pau Torres is there to just tap it in. And again, just that complete like lack of mobility around that defense and lack of awareness. It was genuinely like statues. It was incredible to see because usually Juventus are fairly defensively solid because that's all Allegri concentrates on. But Villarreal, they're a team that are there to pounce on weakness. That's what they do. You give them a chance, they're pretty clinical. Like, I'm kind of starting to wonder about why Emery didn't do that well at Arsenal. What was it that was going wrong? Because everywhere else he's gone, he's done a very good job. Like, Sevilla won how many Europa Leagues? PSG, okay, it's PSG, but... He won the league. He won all the competitions apart from the Champions League, right? And he's now gone to Villarreal and he's consistently overachieving with them. Won the Europa League again. And you're like, okay, what was going wrong at Arsenal? I think he is a, he is a very, very good manager. You know how his teams are going to play. They're going to try and bore you to death. They're going to catch you on the counter. But Juventus just kind of played into their hands. And when you're defending like that, they're bound to take advantage. And I mean, with a favorable draw, I, I mean, with I, the only favorable draw, if we could if call it If they get Benfica, so, you mean? 
Yeah, if you if you get Benfica, <laughs> yeah, it's. I was going to say no disrespect to Benfica, but if the, they would be the favorable draw, you could see them before you know it to the at the semifinals, and even I want to say an Atletico Madrid or a Real Madrid teams that they know very well because they play in the same league. I feel like they could have a shout, maybe not against Real Madrid, but against Atletico. Why not? I was trying to scroll on my app to see what were the results they had this year against these teams. I shall let you know very soon. But about Juventus, this morning I did something purposely. In the fantasy football chat, I asked a Juventus friend to give us some insights about how he's feeling uh, about his club not advancing in the Champions League. Because I understand we're a very heavy Inter and Arsenal-centered podcast, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to have another voice. I'm going to be side-translating the messages that he sent. And he said, aside from Allegri, who is a manager that I don't particularly like, like the bad thing is that we've had the same problems for three years and we have done nothing to address them. It's been three years since Chiellini and Dybala performed in a consistent way throughout the season. And uh, then we just have to rely on people who are not able to play a certain type of games at a certain level. If you also add uh, Bonucci and Chiesa being injured, it becomes complicated. You have a few players and they're not that exciting. And they have to play every three days because the rest of the team is injured. For the rest, there's nothing more to say. Villarreal deserved to go through, and we sucked dick, as we always do. I strongly hope that the Rugani goes away and disappears from the face of the earth. Same thing for Bernardeschi, De Sciglio, Chiellini, and Dybala. I would have a little adv- a piece of advice. Maybe changing the manager for the 72nd year in a row and keeping the same squad might as well not be the right solution for this team. These are the words of a Juventus fan, but I think that they say a lot about how discontent Juventus fans are. Talking about the fans, I have never heard such a silent ground in the Champions League except for the Villarreal Stadium. I think that these two teams are two of the teams with the worst supporters in the world. (laughs) Like yesterday, you realized that the Juventus fans were there when they were two goals down. At that point, they started booing their team before unexisting. So you know how a lot of teams say, it's going to be tough to overturn the score, but we're going to rely on our supporters. Juventus do not have their supporters to rely on. They didn't put up banners. The place is never full. It's always empty. There are so many issues with that place, and they made it smaller than the San Siro, for example, so that they could fill it for every single game, and they don't manage to do it. So it was very sad to see. Honestly, I turned off the sound when I started hearing the Juventus fans booing. I was just like, you are there literally only when your team is two goals down to... Mm -hmm to abuse them and you're not there to support them, what kind of supporters are you? Um, And about the the game itself, not much of a fight was put up by Allegri's men, not much 
to, of a fight was put up by Emery's man either, but it felt like there was a strategy bringing in a Ger- Gerard Moreno mm-hmm. in the f- last 15 minutes, and that guy single-handedly changed the game for well, it's fairly and, and it's a fairly like route one tactic. It's not like Juventus would have been like, whoa, where did that come from? It's tactical masterclass. Like, it's a fairly route one thing to do, but it worked. Like, I was just looking at the Villarreal results. It's going to be... Well, that's going to be an interesting one. Against Real Madrid, they've drawn nil-nil twice this season. And against Atletico Madrid, they've drawn 2-2 twice this season. So, they, so they either, are, yeah. either they either they draw one of these two teams or Benfica, and I think that they could they could have a chance. Um, maybe even with if other Emery teams. wins the Champions League with Villarreal, I'm going to hang myself. Can I just say that? Because <laughs> I, I think Arsenal are cursed at that point. <laughs> but let's recap a few of the teams that Juventus have got out against in the past four years. Let's start from... Ajax in Amsterdam. The year after, it was Lyon. You do remember that one. Last Mm -hmm. year, it was Porto. And this year, it was Villarreal. Now, where has that Juventus, the so-called Juventus DNA gone? Again, no disrespect to these teams, but I think that in each of those draws, we said, oh my God, Juventus were so lucky to have drawn Lyon, Mm -hmm. Porto, and Villarreal. What if they had drawn Liverpool? I don't know. Maybe we they were like seen... they were the heavy favorites in all of those ties. Like yeah. there's 100%. not one of them where you're thinking, "Oh, that could be close." Like Ajax maybe being generous, and that was the year Ajax got to the semi-finals, right? Yeah. Yes. So maybe yes. you're saying, "Okay, that was a very good Ajax team being generous," right? But the rest of them, Juventus should really be walking through. You're right. If they'd have if they'd have drawn Liverpool, you'd have been scared about how that would have turned out, really. Yeah, um, but even I remember the narrative when they played Ajax. Ajax were the very young team with the young, mm-hmm. the leagued, uh, and so on. And the narrative was kind of like, ah, it's so sad that such a talented team is coming up against this relentless tank that is Juventus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he managed to lose those games. And Cristiano Ronaldo was in those games. Um, and also, well, he was in all of them. He ducked out of the way for the free kick last year. Yeah, <laughs> the one true, 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 true. that went in. True, true, true. And uh, yeah, that was his first year at Juventus, I want to say, when they got out against Ajax and another Champions League without Lionel Messi nor Cristiano Ronaldo mm-hmm. from the quarterfinals on. The era is definitely over. It's definitely over. Yeah. I think it's yeah. like, yeah, the era has ended. Um, for Juventus, it's weird, isn't it? Like the last thing I think we'll say on it is like, but for big games, I feel like Juventus turn up. It's against the lower teams. It's almost like they just assume they're going to win. I don't know. Do you think it's as simple as that? Think, they just thought I, they'd get through. I don't think they. I don't think it would have. It would have changed anything against Manchester City or Liverpool. Maybe they would have scored a goal in the return leg, but I, I don't think they would have been able. Christ, to they put didn't up. even score a goal, did they? No, oh, they, no, they got they, one. They got one. They got one. They got one by Vlaovic within. Th- so they 80 scored seconds. The- <laughs> No, 30 seconds of play. They scored after that, they haven't done shit. So it's been literally, <laughs> literally 180 minutes of football yeah. without anything from Juventus. Yeah. Um, the last thing that I wanted to say about Juventus, oh, I will come to my mind. Oh, that video that I sent you today. Oh, it's brilliant. It's about brilliant. Allegri in the press conference <laughs> saying he's a little bit nervous, okay? And he's just like, 
all right, well, you know, it's just a game and it didn't go well this year and we're going to win it next year. And then the video keeps going on a loop of him saying, we're going to win it next year. And the dates of the of all the years that went past by since Juventus won the Champions League just go through the screen. So it's like, and we're going to win it next year, 98. Next year, 99. Next year, 2000. And it does go up all the way to 2020. When it goes to B, it's like, we will win it next year. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The voice goes down, like chopped and screwed. It's like, and we will win it next year. Serie B, Serie B. And then again, Champions League next year, next year, next year. Try again, guys. But we said that the era is over. No Lionel Messi, no Cristiano Ronaldo. What a game we had at Old Trafford. Manchester United unable to score differently from Atletico Madrid. I am all about this Atletico Madrid win. And it's not because of any negative sentiment that I have towards Manchester United. Simply because I love the man, Diego Simeone. I let you go first, Rory. Uh, well, weirdly, my dad. I got as I was going to play football. I got a message from my dad. It was a photo, and he'd managed to get tickets. His friend had taken him to what? the executive box, the executive box at Old Trafford, to watch Atletico against Man United. Now, my dad hates United, and he's not really that bothered about football anymore. And it was so funny. And my dad's attitude to football is always like, it has to be beautiful at all costs. You have to play beautiful football. It should be entertainment. And I knew that my dad watching Allegri, uh, watching Simeone, was going to be a huge problem. Um, so I came back from football, saw the result, and I messaged my dad. And he was telling me about the stadium and about, and I was like, well, did you enjoy the game? And he just replied, no, not at all. I was like, oh, right, okay, nice. We had a bit of an argument about the pros and cons of Simeone ball. Um, we agreed to disagree. I... Absolutely love, and this isn't even the most Simeoniest of Simeone Atletico teams. It's not as cynical a team as they have been in the past. But also for United, you, you fucking know what what Atletico are going to do when they turn up. It's up to you to get past it. I think for United, before I let you talk about Atletico, we can talk about United a little. No, bit. no let's go. Let's go. Let's talk about both. Um, they they had plenty of chances. Um, Oblak got man of the match, I believe, pulled off some great saves. We almost kind of got back to glory days Oblak a little bit. He was pulling Love off it. some big saves. The first save, a save I'm going to put in like in, in quote marks, where Elanga hit it and he kind of saved it with his head, was definitely lucky, but, you know, his positioning was good. He got there. Um, so Oblak kept them in the game a little bit. Elanga was lively. But as always with United, it's about what happens off the ball or what happens when the players aren't playing football. And Ronaldo's body language the entire way through, I cannot imagine having to put up with someone who publicly digs you out in <laughs> in front of the world media while you're trying to play football. Like All he does is just moan at his, at his teammates, moan at the referee, Fernandez is just as bad. I feel like all their body language off the ball is just like they all hate each other or they're all just incredibly unhappy. And it's like you can just see that like for Ranić, obviously his situation feeds into it as well. That is he going to be there? He's probably not going to be there. The players know that what he thinks probably doesn't count. Like it's this whole exercise of like wasting time. They've just written off the season and just waiting for it to end. I just felt like they really whimpered their way out of the game. Once Atletico got the goal... United didn't really offer much. They were looking for a foul on the build-up to the goal. And I don't know what you think, Tommy, but I think that is really 
really optimistic to uh, to look for a foul there. It just seemed like two players collided and the ball broke. Look, if you are a customary listener of the pod, you should know by now that on Tuesday nights, unfortunately, I am busy and I cannot watch the Champions League games. I did watch the highlights and in no highlights did I notice a foul on the build-up to that mm-hmm. play. Then I finally found a stream where they really highlighted that play and you could argue that there was, but to the naked eye, the first few times that I saw that play, I really didn't notice anything no. wrong. Did the Manchester United fans uh, cr- criticize that choice quite a lot? I saw a few people criticizing the referee in general, um, and I think he didn't have a great performance, but I don't think that is a decision where you're going like we were robbed. And also, that's not why United lost the game. That's not mm-hmm. why United lost the game. That's not why United didn't go through. Um I think it was, from what I saw, like I said, it was just two players colliding. The ball took a lucky break for Atletico and went through. They scored. United could have defended it better on the same hand. Like They definitely could have defended it better. So I think um, for United fans, they could have handled it with a bit more dignity. I think at the end, we saw Simeone getting pelted with bottles and all sorts as he was running off down the touchline. Um I, I really hate this trend that's emerging in football. With like, it's happening everywhere. It happened at Arsenal. It's happened at every ground in the country. People just throwing missiles onto the pitch now. But the funny thing is, Simeone will fucking love that shit. Simeone would have come out. He would have got into that tunnel and just burst out laughing because he knows that he's left eighty thousand people behind him, absolutely fuming. Like he would have loved it. So all you've done is play into his hands, I think. But it's still a disgusting thing to see. Um, but, Tommy, let's talk about Atletico. Let's give them some some props. What do you think? So, I have to ask you a question first. In our fantasy football chat, somebody said, uh, our friend Matteo, who is he's never liked Simeone football. He's uh, mm-hmm. an aesthetic. Um, who do you call somebody who likes aesthetics? In Italian, we say esteta, which is different than estetista, which is aesthetician, you know? He's an, a lover oh, of aesthetics. Yeah, a lover of aesthetics, I suppose. Basically. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, he's never he's also a very good football player. And he's never really liked the Simeone's football. Okay. But in the in the fantasy football chat, he was saying, I don't think that putting pressure on the referees and bending the rules to your advantage is really football. What did the Simeone do in that game to to to, to call him out for this? I think it was just Atletico being Atletico. It was yeah, just, see, that's that's to, the, because nowhere else did I read that Simeone did something blatant no, no, towards no, no, the refereeing no. or anything. No, so, I don't know. Because the thing is, uh, the first thing I did was I looked as to why the United, United fans were throwing things at him. Was it Simeone being Simeone grabbing his crotch or whatever? But he didn't do anything. It was just the Atletico players... Yes, they were diving, they were wasting time, they were doing what every other team does in a knockout game towards the end when they're 1-0 up. They just did it more because they're Atletico. I saw that for the last half an hour, the ball was only in play for something like 11 minutes or something, which is outstanding. Um, but I think that's all it was, really. I don't think Simeone did anything particularly special to like provoke any of that. Look, to start my bid on Simeone, I just want to read this beautiful... Uh, bit by Rivista Contrasti. It's an online magazine. I always uh, uh, reference them. I'm going to read it in Italian, then translate it. It's beautiful, right. be- beautifully written. Che poi si parla tanto di bellezza, ricadendo nel soggettivo, ma l'abnegazione di giocatori di talento che si molano per i compagni, se non è estetica, è certamente etica, e spesso le due cose si mischiano fino a confondersi. So it basically says. 
we talk so much about beauty that it is something, after all, subjective, and we don't consider that the self-denial of extremely talented player who put themselves out there for their teammates, if it's not aesthetics, it's surely ethics. Mm-hmm. And often the two things mix up until the point that you cannot distinguish one from the other. I love it. It couldn't have been worded better. I love what it. I'm lo- gonna sorry, I'm gonna jump on it quickly and say that's that's more no player, and I don't know if this is where you were going with it, but no player sums that up more than Joao Felix. Oh, I man, someone, I agree. I agree. Someone who is like incredibly a flair player, like lives off instinct, does the little back heel for Griezmann to set before the goal was absolutely beautiful. But he's kind of, you're right, sacrificed or adapted his game to fit into the team for this system. I think that's that's absolutely spot on. Absolutely spot on. You remember when we went to the Monza game, we were talking about the Inter team that won the treble, which is something mm-hmm. that... Oddly, I love to talk about. Yeah, we talk um, about it a lot. <laughs> yeah. and do you remember when I told you that thing about that interview that uh, they made with uh, Samuel Eto'o? Uh, a lot of people w- during Mourinho's days at Inter, they criticized Mourinho because they said, you have mm-hmm. Eto'o and you're, you're playing him basically as a winger or a right back even. A yeah, wing back. Yeah, and yeah, when yeah. they asked this question to Eto'o, he said, well, to me, it was never a problem. When you're coached by somebody like Mourinho and he's building what he built in the end, when he asks you, do you mind playing as a winger? You're just going to say, this guy knows my talent. He's one of the yeah. best managers in world football. If he, if he's asking me to do that, it's because we're going to win games. So why the fuck would I refuse? And mm-hmm. it really, I think this is the thing that I love about Atletico Madrid. They always fight as a unit. Like yeah. those, maybe to, to, excessively, like to the point that <laughs> if a fight breaks out, some like those all of those 11 players, they're just going to jump in and throw punches, you know? Um, but I just love this mentality. And look, I the football as a simple rule. Well, number one, don't touch the ball with your hands. Number two, if you score more goals than your opponent, Wait. you fucking go through. Yeah. I don't care how you do it. I don't care how you do it. And it doesn't say it anywhere that you cannot park the bus and play defensively. But also, one thing that I uh, I got from the highlights and from reading articles about the game, Atletico Madrid looked pretty clinical in the counter, mm-hmm. in the fast break, in the counter attack. Yeah. So it's not only playing defensively, it's knowing your, t- what, your team's strategy and buying into it and then finding a loophole to try and score a goal. The goal was scored and they go through. And usually these teams, to all those people that hate Atletico Simeone, usually those teams... They get found out at some point. Well, they got to two Champions League finals, but in all the other editions under Simeone, they haven't gotten there. So they get found out at some point. Yeah, and if yeah, they yeah. don't, it just means that their football works. And I'm bored and tired of reading because it's not Allegri's football of winning a games 1-0 and sitting back. This is putting up a fight in the yeah, yeah. theater no, there's a, of There's the a dream. massive difference. There is a massive difference. In what there's they call the theater of dreams. And it's not the first iconic English stadium that Simeone is able to conquer. I remember Anfield, the year that COVID break broke, mm-hmm. they won at Anfield and they went through with an incredible game where they had they got oh from Urente, who was like a defensive midfielder turned striker. Yeah, yeah. He scored yeah. a brace. <laughs> like these things do not happen. Like Honestly, being in the Atletico Madrid changing room at halftime, guys, I'm saying it here. I think I could have a decent game under Simeone. Like, if Simeone just like talks to me straight in the face 
and tells me how much I need to fight for this since I don't have any technical skills, uh, technical technical skills. I'm just gonna put my heart in there. And you just have to run thirty kilometers in ninety minutes, and then yeah, I, I was talking about fight. a substitution at the last okay, right, minute around the seventieth yeah. minute, right around the seventieth minute. <laughs> but so, so I, I, I'm all about it. Of course, there is the inter bias with Simeone as well. But I was very young. I don't remember that much of Simeone at Inter. I know he was here. I know he, he loves Italy. He speaks perfect Italian. But trust me, when I say that I love this team, it's because I just love what he's built. And let's not forget, this man has been there for 10 years. How many managers do you know that have been at the same club for 10 years? And I don't think that he didn't receive offers from abroad, from other countries. Like 10 no, years? No, I think there's definitely been clubs about. I think he might be the longest serving manager. In Currently, or in European football at the moment. At the moment, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. Klopp is be, getting right? there. Klopp yeah. is slowly getting there. Amazing stuff. I love and the it. best thing, the final best thing, the Atletico Twitter feed did put a picture of the Atletico players celebrating on the pitch, and it was the Kanye West album cover, "My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy," which I absolutely love. <laughs> Just such a great photo to post, and they did make a joke about the theater of dreams. Unbelievable trolling. Love it. Love Beautiful it. stuff. And as you said, I also love that that, uh, that Simeone clip of him celebrating and then like, mm-hmm. I'm out of here. Like, it felt like, you guys know my obsession with the Batman. It's just like, my job here is done. I'm well, out. He does, that after, he does that after every game. He runs down the tunnel. He runs down the tunnel to the changing room. <laughs> Very- what I did like was as things were flying over, it looked like he went to head one of the bottles, but I think he was maybe <laughs> getting out of the way, but it looked like he was going to head it. But... And there is there is a guy that like r- stretches his arm yeah. right in front of his face with a middle finger, yeah. and I'm just like, that guy's loving it, dude. You're just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you are giving him an erection right now. He's <laughs> not going to fall asleep easily tonight. Great <laughs> stuff. Don't forget that on Amazon Prime, you can find a whole series dedicated oh, to the great yeah. Cholo Simeone and Cholo Simeone. Only the last game that we need to review was possibly the, the, the second biggest upset of this Champions League week as table Eredivisie, table leaders, Ajax, are knocked out with a defeat at their home stadium by Benfica. And I know that my co-host might have some plans and some talks to initiate with Arsenal, correct? Oh, Darwin bloody Nunez. Now, he's someone that from Football Manager, I know, is absolutely unbelievable on it. But I've never actually sat and watched him. I've always just been like, oh, he's good because Football Manager says he's good. (laughs) Well, actually, I've sat down and tried to... Typical Rory. Typical Rory. (laughs) I've tried... Well, they get it right a lot of the time. But I, I sat down and tried to do a bit of research today. I was like, right, let's see what everybody's talking about this guy man he's got everything he's got everything he is strong he's fast he scores he's great in the air like aerially really good scored ahead of this game right um scored the winner with his head one thing that really stood out to me is the fact that he's he's tall but his ability to dribble and run past players is unbelievable if you look at now it's one of the goals he scored against barcelona in the group stage this year he cuts in and out about three times before putting it in the bottom corner. Like this guy is great with his feet, fast, strong, technical, really, really exciting striker. 22 years old, Uruguayan. I love a Uruguayan player because you know, like Simeone, even though he's not Uruguayan, I link Simeone to Uruguay. They properly fight, right? You know, they've got that grit. They put the effort in. He is someone that previous episode, I said, I want Joao Felix. Joao Felix is going to cost too much. I think, Darwin Nunez 
22 years old. Get him at the carpet, please. What a striker. What a striker. 22 games in Liga Nosh this year. 20 goals. Mm-hmm. Let that sink He's in. He's on fire. 20 goals on fire. In 22 games, ladies and gentlemen. With and they're not Terrell even top, top, are they? I think they're not. Not they're not top of the league as right now. Let me pull up the table. They're miles off it. They are 12 points behind table leaders Porto in third place. They've scored 66 goals. So Nunez has got 22 of those. He's got a third of their goals. Yeah, 20 of those. Yeah, almost a third of their goals have been scored. That's an incredible stat. He scored a third of his team's goals. That's unbelievable. Well, Rory, did you expect this result to come? Not even slightly. I think we kind of were fairly dismissive of Benfica, and I feel quite bad about it. Um, They played really well, defended really well. Vertonghen and Otamendi in a kind of Premier League throwback vibe. Otamendi was like a proper laughing stock in the in in, in when he was at City, but he's had a mad career. Like everywhere he's been, he's been really successful. At Valencia, he did really well. City obviously won everything. Now at Benfica, he's doing well. I think. Those two defenders did incredibly well keeping Ajax quiet. Ajax had a lot of chances, but none of them were very clear cut. It was all kind of like just over the bar or wide, or there wasn't many. Like I don't think they made the goalkeeper work that much. You know what's the problem with Otamendi is that Manchester City paid any insane amount of money for yeah. him yeah. back in the day. And yeah. the, when you've got that price tag on you, everybody's going to judge you. But he's he's a pretty solid defender. Ah, I hate to do this, but we have to mention Interstax goalkeeper, uh, which makes the headlines for what was he trying to do? Catching butterflies in the air. And it's not the first time that I see him do this. We were following the Africa Cup of Nations. And in the first game for Cameroon, he the first goal. The first goal of the tournament. The first goal of the tournament. He just 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 flew and missed the ball. And Onana, I, I look, I appreciate what you're doing, man. You looked at our team play a few times. You saw what our goalkeeper does, and you were just like, I'm going to emulate him. Oh, that's now, what they want. That's the culture of the that, club. <laughs> that's what they want, right? Um, look, I'll tell you one thing, Mr. Onana. Don't copy that guy. Like, we've loved that guy for a long time, but right now he's a little old. At least, though, Rory, at least this guy is taking his feet off the ground, right? <laughs> like, that's that a big does help. Start. That does help. He's a bit more mobile, a bit more mobile. Look, he's been, he was banned for a very long time on a fairly dodgy case from what i've read it was very very kind of tenuous what they got him on he's been banned for a while it's going to take him a while to get back to full march match march match fitness but he should be doing better there still he should definitely still be doing better i mean since his comeback at ajax whom we've praised the over and over again for uh, conceding very few goals ever since he's been back uh, let me double check but they've conceded one goal against the benfica in the previous game before that they conceded two goals against cambur before then two goals against the valvik <sighs> So he's conceded uh, five goals in three games. And I did read that the goals that he conceded in the previous two games, they weren't completely his fault. But still, a defense that has been rock solid like Ajax's until now, mm. it's kind of surprising that they've Well, they'd only conceded so five up until that point, right? So it's yeah, really, it has all kind of fallen apart recently. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. And uh, Ajax, what's left for them? The Eredivisie? Uh I don't know, man. We don't really follow this league, but they're first on 63 points. And behind them, PSV Eindhoven, 61. So they're right there. Right there. It's a a title race in in the end of the division. And I think, look, 
I saw a thing of Michael Owen, um, who isn't the greatest pundit, doing a very good... Like On Twitter, there's this phrase like Prem Tard or Prem Face, which is like a pundit who only knows about the Premier League and says something utterly ridiculous about someone from not the Premier League. And Michael Owen straight away couldn't wait to say, well, should Manchester United now hire a manager who's been knocked out at the last 16 of the Champions League, completely dismissing everything this man has achieved at Ajax in the past five, six years, seven years he's been there, however long it is. I think it was a little bit reactionary, to say the least. Um, It's an unfortunate, it's a bad result. They definitely should have gone through. They were the favourites. But I don't think we need to be jumping to any conclusions on Ten Hag just yet. But I'm not sure if you agree with me. Um, I kind of like, if I were an Ajax fan, there has been a lot of hype around my team in Europe, especially, and they have never really achieved anything over the past few years. And here is a little stat. Ajax haven't won a direct elimination home game since 1996 in the Champions League. That That is crazy. That is crazy. 26 years. I'm also, yeah, okay, that's fair, but I'm also not going to put that all on um, Ten Hag. But I think no, 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 I wasn't saying it about him. I was just saying, yeah, they. No, no, but I think you would expect them one of these years to just go on a mad tier in the Champions League and actually. They did get get to the semi-final five years ago. Yeah, I w- yeah. Then they they kind of restructured their entire team after that. Um, yeah, they. But well, they, they had to. They had to because everybody was sold, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, true, true, true. I think like without like Ten Hag took over that club when they were in it, they were in a bad state. They'd not won anything for a while. It was on a massive decline. They were in debt up to their eyeballs. And he's managed to not only bring through some incredibly promising youngsters and sell them at a profit so that the club is now liquid again. He's been able to then improve the team at the same time with youngsters as well, but bringing in experienced players like Alain, like Dusan Tadic, these players, and I think he's really got this incredible blend and just turned this club around that was genuinely in decline before he got there. I think he is one of the next big managers in Europe. Um, I think I would be genuinely gutted to see him go to Manchester United because I think he could turn that ship around. Um, I think this is a bad result, but it doesn't really say much about Ten Hag or the Ajax team. I think I think it's just one of those nights where they had more than enough chances to score. They weren't clinical enough and Benfica got the goal. And it's everything with the Champions League today for you listeners at 12 p.m. in Lyon, Switzerland, favorite country of this podcast. There's going to be the draw for the quarterfinals of the Champions League as we are recording. The Europa League games are underway. I will not read the results because they could change by the time they come to full time, but we will read them at the end of the episode. It's time for our weekly topic inspired by St. Patrick. We're not going to talk about Arsenal. Oh my God, how could I forget about that, Rory? Sorry, I was all caught up with the Champions League. It's now time to discuss Arsenal against Liverpool. An incredible win for the Gunners. Oh no, they lost 2-0. We did lose 2-0, and the, the the run of now six games, I think, of playing Liverpool and not scoring continues. Uh, <laughs> one day we will score against Liverpool, and I personally can't wait for that day. Um, I'm just going to very quickly go through it. Liverpool are bloody scary. Um, they brought Salah and Firmino off the bench. 
Um, <laughs> I think that kind of says everything you need to know. And about Firmino that. scored within five minutes from the yeah. bench, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he did. And Jota scored with his last touch of the game. And then Firmino came on and scored five minutes later. Um, look, I think the first half, Arsenal actually were the better team. Um, we really controlled the game. Had a few chances. Again, as we always say with Arsenal, if we had a proper striker, we probably could have had a goal, should have had a goal. Second half, Klopp changed it. The Liverpool players were out early. They were waiting for us. And they definitely stepped up the gas. Arsenal couldn't really... I think Arteta put it as we controlled the game. We controlled the game outside the two boxes. And that was it. Once we got into their box, Erdegaard had a big miss, but a great save from Allison. And then we can see three minutes later, um, Ramsdale probably should, well, definitely should do better on the near post. He gets beaten at the near post. His wrist is a little bit weak. But one of the things, I think it's an interesting point about Ramsdale, one of the reasons why we bought him, and this is something that Arteta studied apparently, was how he reacted to making mistakes and how he reacted to conceding goals. Um, His goalkeeping coach described him as as having a goldfish's memory, which for a goalkeeper, it sounds like an insult, but I think it's a Mm. compliment, which means that he's very easily gets past mistakes quickly. So hopefully... He'll be fine. He should do. It. He should have done better, but it was an annoying goal to concede. The second one, we should have cleared our line. Saka does the right thing by trying to clear the ball. Robertson blocks it. It breaks, and we don't clear it when we should do. It's 2-0, and before you know it, the game, at that point, the game's out of control. It's out of our hands. We did all right to keep it 2-0. I think at that point, Liverpool just managed the game. I said, uh, I, th- I think I said on the show on Monday, just keep it respectable and don't let it derail, derail our season. We play at 12.30 on Saturday against Aston Villa. That is the big test for us now. If we can win that game and bounce back straight away, that's massive. Because when we had the great performance against City, but then lost, we lost the next four games. So we really can't afford to go in a run like that again. But players I want to... Well, one player I want to talk about for Arsenal very quickly before we do move on to the weekly topic is Gabriel Martinelli. Now, I've known for a while how good this kid is. Klopp has been talking for ages about how good this guy is. He was, he caused constant problems the entire night. Even Robertson in his post-match conference said Saka and Martinelli are incredibly difficult to handle. Klopp said, don't ever tell me Trent Alexander-Arnold is bad at defending again. He kept Gabriel Martinelli quiet. He did a bit. There was still a time when Martinelli absolutely rinsed about three players, got it across the box, but then Lacazette just not quite in the right place, not just that burst of pace that we need, that Darwin Nunez would have got on the end of, right? Martinelli whips it across. He's just not quite there, and we don't get the goal. I think we created chances. We played well, but Liverpool are a bloody good team, and we've now got a title race in England. Yeah, that's the scary thing. We're going to get to the title race. That's absolutely scary, as you are saying about Liverpool, how they can afford to barely control the game for some time of the match, of the 90 minutes. I would say the first 50 minutes, 55 minutes. Turn it around like that. Game's gone. And then it's like five minutes, the game's done. And I was like shell-shocked. I was like, oh, what the hell happened? It was like a quick one-two from a boxer and you're done. Yeah, the, the, the thing I feel like about Liverpool is that from their point of view, they're simply controlling the game. But mm-hmm. the other team is putting in work, work, work to yeah, try and yeah, score yeah, that yeah. goal. And by the time they decided to flip the switch, at that point, the other team is fucking, is how can you say, is tired, right? Yeah, yeah, the other yeah. team is tired and they can simply, they have that energy in them. And also quick shout to TAA, 
I just call him like that because I always mix up his name. Great hairdo. I want. I've been wanting to say it from the <laughs> beginning of the season. It's just I a kind haircut. of. I kind of. I, it felt like he went through that bit of a rough patch last year, and he was just like, now it's only going to be. I'm becoming a beast. I'm going to. He's turn into like a beast. the season him and Robertson are having. He is unbelievable, and we need to talk about Man City on Christmas Day had a 14 point lead. Mm-hmm. It is now one point. One point. Yep. If Liverpool win this title, and I think they're favourites. This could be one of the biggest meltdowns in Premier League history in terms of letting a lead slip. Like, I know it's Christmas, it's kind of early, but 14 points clear at Christmas, you should be seeing it out. Um, and, and it's going to be a, an incredible title race. We've got City-Liverpool later on in the season. I cannot wait for that game. Um but another Liverpool player who needs props definitely is Fabinho. That guy is just the best in his league at what he does. It's unbelievable. And uh, I don't mean to brag, but one podcast that did not predict that the title race was still open is the Anglo-Italian pod. We called it done. I definitely time. called it. I definitely called it. We even discussed about the stopping to preview the Premier League because it was pointless. <laughs> there was no title race. And then next thing you know, Liverpool one point behind. The Anglo-Italian pod isn't much more for your ears only listeners. <laughs> but Rory, very quickly... The goal falls again against the Tottenham. Romero and Kane make it 2-0 to keep the trend going for the Tottenham Hotspur. Win, lose, win, lose, lose, win, win, lose. <laughs> what about this game? Um, Harry Kane has now scored the most away goals in Premier League history, 95 goals away, which is actually pretty mad. So fair play, Harry. I'm actually not going to have a dig. I'm just going to say fair play. That's bloody impressive. There is is no punchline? Nothing? No, no, no. That's it. Just very, very impressive. Um, Shit. I know. I'm trying to... I've talked to somebody recently. Not God, but I've talked to somebody recently. And it was like, maybe I do... I enjoy going in on Spurs, but maybe I do need to try and be a little bit more balanced. Need to be a little bit more balanced. So, good performance by Spurs. 2-0. Brighton are definitely on the beach. <laughs> like their form has been atrocious recently. They are not doing anything. They know they're safe. I think most teams are going to roll up and beat them now. But that's a great win for Tottenham. Brings them within six points of us. So I think maybe I was a little bit early on calling them for the top four, but I'm going to stick with it. I still don't think they'll make it. Um, but they need to find some consistency. Six consecutive losses for Brighton over the last six games and only two wins, uh, actually only three wins in 2022. Finally, that's it with our year review and we can jump to the weekly topic inspired by St. Patrick himself. We're going to take a quick look at how the situation is looking for the Irish national team because, as you know, Rory is half Irish indeed. And then we are going to imagine who are the top three players that we would take to the pub with us. Not Irish, just people who love drinking. Probably Irish. And it's no, nay, never. No, nay, never, no more. Will I be a wild rover? No, never. I like it. No more. I was going to start with an Irish rebel song, but I won't. It's fine. And <laughs> Let's this, do it. So, the reason why I know this song is not because of the Dubliners, whom, however, are amazing, but it's because of the one and only Dropkick Murphys that I saw oh, live in Milan. 
with my Welcome buddy man. Michael, another half Irish personality of the pod, Michael O'Malley. He goes around with an Italian passport, and I think it's hilarious. His name is Michael O'Malley. I will <laughs> Michael repeat. O'Malley. But he's, so uh, this yeah. is very funny. When they ask me, what are my, my foreign friends? They ask me, so what are the names of your best friends? And they go, well, Michael O'Malley, Leroy Donnan. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> Scottish as fuck. And then we get to the Italian names, Jacopo Iannelli and so on. But it's St. Patrick's Day, and it's time to take our blimp all the way to Ireland, a country whom uh, we've talked about in the podcast back in the day with, uh, at the time, manager uh, Filippo Giovagnoli. He was uh, coaching the team whose name escapes me right now. Dundalk. 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 Um, And now we're back. We also talked to Eamon Zayed. Eamon Zayed, correct. The... Uh, Iranian god of football who started out in Ireland, right? Um, so it's kind of a league that has um, propped up in the uh, pod a little bit because it, it obviously is a league and country very close to my heart. And with it being St. Patrick's Day, like Tommy said, we thought we'd do a little bit of a, um Irish special for a team that I think Irish football has been in the wilderness for a good while now. And I think maybe maybe we're finding our way out of that wilderness and there's a, l- a few things to be excited about. All right. So let's start. What is the current state of the national team? What are their hopes? What is their selection looking like? Who is the manager? What's going on? Tell us a bit of an overview. Well, recently, um, Stephen Kenny, the ex-Dundalk manager and highly uh, rated manager, <laughs> um, has signed a new contract until 2024. Um, now, the qualification campaign got off to a horrific start for 2022, most notably the loss against Luxembourg at home, which was definitely a moment where his job was at risk. People were starting to think, do we just get a steady hand? He was trying to bring a new culture of football into the country. So you know that with managers like Trapattoni and managers like Martin O'Neill, it was very much, we were the Stoke City of international football. It was very much... Defend, defend, get one, sit on it. And it it led to a few good results, like 1-0 against Italy in the Euros, 1-0 against Germany. We got a few big results, but most of the time it was pretty pretty depressing watching watching Ireland and tough to watch. So they brought in Stephen Kenny. He's trying to bring in this more kind of progressive, attacking, free-flowing football. And it's definitely working. He's just going to need time. Now, he's brought in a lot of young players, namely the goalkeeper, Gavin Bazunu, who's been absolutely outstanding for Ireland every time he's played. Um, And he's given a few more chances to players from the League of Ireland. So it's a very young squad. Um, And there's a lot of Irish players now moving abroad, getting picked up in foreign leagues. We talked about Amanqua, who got signed by Udinese. He's going to be joining them next season. Um, But there's a few players who've, already in the Premier League, are starting to get a bit of a name. Well, in the Championship, there's Dara Lenehan, who plays for Blackburn. Um, He's made 37 appearances for them this season at centre-back. He's a centre-back that everybody's very, very excited about. He's not had many caps at the moment because we are quite stocked in that position, but he's someone who people are excited about. Elsewhere, another young player that we're... um, we're quite excited about is a center forward called Evan Ferguson. He's only 17 years old. He's currently at the Brighton under 23s, but in the Premier League two this year, he's got eight goals in 15 games. So another player that people are very excited about. 
and two more. <laughs> um, Tayo Adaramola. Who Just is make it 11 guy. at this point, Roy. <laughs> Just make yeah, it well, <laughs> exciting players in the Irish national team. Um, there's Tayo Adamarola, who is at Crystal Palace under 23. He's one of the best youth systems in the country as well. He's also playing in the Premier League too, getting a bit of a name for himself there. And a young striker at West Ham. West Ham need a striker. Give him a chance, guys. Armstrong Oco Flex. Now, he's also playing in Premier League 2. He's got 11 goals in 17 games. I think he really, if Antonio is injured and knackered, just give him a chance. Also, he's got a sick name. Oco Flex is a really, really cool name. So there are a lot of youngsters to be excited about. And this has been like a kind of reinvention of Irish football. We went through a very long period of Delaney in charge, who was one of the most corrupt and useless leaders in all of world football. Um, after 15 years, his kind of reign of terror has ended and there's been a bit of a turn in direction and Steve Kenny is kind of heading this movement. Only one defeat for the Irish national team across the last 10 games that they've played, including official games and friendlies. The defeat came against Portugal uh, in the World Cup qualifications in, on September 1st. For the rest, it's been, it's been draws and wins, namely four wins. A very convincing one also, but against Andorra. For one, another 3-0 win against Azerbaijan, a 4-0 win against Qatar in a friendly. And there are two friendlies coming up against a big op opponent, Belgium, on um, Saturday, March the 26th. And then against the last big opponent, I would say Lithuania, on Tuesday the 29th of March. Could we say, Rory, that the Belgium game is going to be a bit of a test? I think so. Team. I think, and um, I just want to quickly say that one loss to Portugal that came from a 96th minute winner came from Ronaldo, right? right? Ireland led that game up until the 89th minute. Ronaldo scored in the 89th and 96th minute. That was an incredible performance from Ireland, and there definitely was a turning point. As I said, after that loss to Luxembourg, there was a big break. They kind of really thought about what they were doing. And then Stephen Kenny kind of doubled down and was like, no, you know what? I'm sticking with what we're doing. This is what, this is the direction we're going in. Thank God the FAI stuck with him and didn't pull the trigger. And as you said, from then, like, yeah, 4-1 win against Andorra, Andorra 3-0 against Azerbaijan. Like, these are places, okay, they're not massive teams, but these are difficult places to go that Ireland in the past easily could have lost. Um, I think this Belgium game, it's a friendly, so it's very much, let's just see what the boys can do. But I, I'd expect it to be competitive. I think Belgium's still a slightly, even though they've got incredible players, I still think they're slightly overrated. Like People always talk about them as like the best team in the world, but they always disappoint. They so like, I don't know. We could draw a parallel between uh, Belgium and PSG, I feel like. This is a star-studded team that doesn't win shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I, think that's, I think that's probably fair. But for Ireland, they'll definitely be looking at that Lithuania friendly to be like, that. okay, this is where we put down a few goals. I'd expect <laughs> famous last words, three or four, really. Lithuania aren't up to much at all. And come the summer, the most obscure tournament in international football, the UEFA Nations League, is going to unfold. Ireland are in Group B, and they're going to take on Ukraine, Armenia, Scotland. That's going to be an exciting game. That's a rough group. That yeah, a it's, it's a rough group, but you know, <laughs> considering that the silverware at stake is not that exciting, I think it could be a good motivation for Ireland to try and go, guys, we've got nothing to lose. Let's just go for it, you know? Well, it's yeah, and I think like look, Ukraine are a very good team. 
Um, obviously, they may have other issues. We'll get there, I suppose. But hopefully, they're a very good hopefully, team. Hopefully. Um, Armenia are one of the teams that we've talked about. Whenever we've talked about international football, they've been a team that's pulled up massive surprises. Players like Mkhitaryan, right? They're always capable of doing something. And Ireland, Scotland, that's going to be a great game. That's going to be just for the atmosphere. That'd be amazing. Mkhitaryan has retired from international football. Has he retired football. Yeah, he retired oh. from international football. He says he wants to focus on Roma only. And I want it to be like, no, Mickey, Mickey, don't do that mistake. Keep <laughs> focusing on something else too. It might get less depressing, bud. By the way, guys, this is just a quick spoiler. There might be a big Roma fan coming on the pod oh. soon, but I'm not going to say anything more about that. But so, if we're done with our quick Irish state of the Irish national team review, we should close our eyes and imagine that tonight we can go have a few drinks, a few pints of Guinness with any football player that we want to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Now, it goes without saying that it's just an excuse for celebrating. So we're not particularly looking for somebody with an Irish descent. We're just looking for good drinkers. So, Rory, <laughs> who is your, what's your, besides yourself, who are you taking uh, along to the Irish pub? Should we do it one by one? All right, go. First, the first person I have to invite. Now, the first player or the first thing that came to mind when I was like football and drinking was the Tuesday club at Arsenal, right? So this was like a famous thing that every Tuesday the players would go out and they would have to get hammered. Like it was a team building thing. This was a team that later in the future it would be discovered had a lot of alcoholics in it. But if we skip past that, one player, the first player that came to Let's mind Let's keep was... it fun. Let's keep it fun, Rory. Come yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. This one wasn't one of them. Don't worry. The player that we kept that first came to mind is Ray Parler, the Romford Pele, absolute Arsenal legend, was part of the Invincibles, just club legend, and his Instagram now is hilarious, or his Twitter. He just every weekend puts videos, not even a weekend, just most nights, puts videos up of him doing like Jaeger bombs, um, doing snake bombs <laughs> or something he calls him. He's just constantly, the guy, his seems is constantly on a night out. So I think Ray Parler would be a great, great night out. Also, some of the stories from him, one story that stands out about Parler was um, he was the person who convinced Arsene Wenger to sign Stepanovs because he thought it was funny Stepanov was on trial and Parler kind of encouraged everyone to be like, oh, boss, this guy's incredible. This guy's, did you see that? That's amazing. That's amazing. And Wenger was like, oh, maybe I missed something. Maybe I missed something. Signed him and then Stepanov was easily one of the worst players also I've ever had. So this guy, constant practical joker. I think he'd be great on a night out. Beautiful. I'll go with my first one. So I'll do a bit of an introduction there. Even just looking at Italy and the Italian national team, there are some good drinkers out there. One of them being Mr. Andrea Pirlo, that video of him taking shots <laughs> at the club was hilarious. But honestly, I didn't go with this guy because I think it would be embarrassing to take him on a drinking night out. Like in that video, he can barely stand. He can barely He doesn't look like the type stand. though, does he, Pirlo? He doesn't look like the type. He loves drink like the type to do what? Uh, he doesn't look like the type that would be like Larry on a night out. He looks like he'd be like his reputation in England is very much like sat with a red wine discussing mm, philosophy just, and life. You know, just, like... just go watch that video of him <laughs> taking shots at a club with Ambrosini. I want to say 
and some other former AC Milan legends. Another name that came to mind, Nicolo Barella, apparently the biggest wine expert in Italian football. Um, That picture of him hung over after the Euros. He was all of us. As we say in Italian, (laughs) he was all of us. He kept it real. They had been... Luke recently released an interview where they asked him about, like, how did it feel to become a meme in front of the Italian president? He was just like, look, dude, I'll be honest. I wasn't even hungover. I was just tired as fuck. Like, we have <laughs> heard that one. We, yeah, heard that it was one just before. like, we had slept three hours. And then, you know, like, it's a long speech. He said something like, it's it's a long speech. It's the president talking. You know, and he's an old man. And I just want to take a nap. And yeah, so I'm not that interested. <laughs> but instead, I went with two Brazilians and an Englishman. And I'm going to start from the Englishman. This man has become, despite not knowing much about him, he instantly became an hero of mine way before I knew anything about drugs and about partying. But ladies and gentlemen, Robbie Fowler. (laughs) Man, I remember at the, I must have been in middle school, maybe first year of middle school, and we started hitting this uh, football pitch quite a lot. Like every afternoon, I remember, we would just like get out of school, go to the football ground and just not study and spend the afternoon there. And uh, I remember my best friend, Michelle, he was a very good football player. He scored an incredible bicycle kick goal. And then he went to the sideline and he started pretending to snort it. And I was just like, dude, that's a dope celebration. It was like, this guy, Robbie Fowler, did it in England. And I was just like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like somebody did so it. Much, he got in a lot of trouble for that as well. I'm pretty sure he got a ban or a massive fine. I can't but so remember. even yeah. if we keep the drugs out of the picture i think it would be a good night out to bring it alongside him uh, alongside me and to have a few pints that there is a fantastic picture of him and peter crouch on a night out and peter crouch is on his shoulders which jokes looks hilarious <laughs> robbie fowler is pretty short and crouch is obviously like seven <laughs> foot it's Massive. just an incredible picture it's incredible yeah they love a session so, Robbie Fowler is my first pick to go out drinking with on St. Patrick's Night. Rory, who's your second? My second one, I've, I've had to pick an Italian player, and I think he drinks. I'm pretty sure. He, well, with the antics he gets up to, I hope he drinks. It's, of course, purely for the stories as well, Mario Balotelli. Now, everybody knows that he's a pod favorite, right? We, we go on about him all the time. Um, the interview that he had recently was a more mature Mario, which we're very happy to see someone who's kind of grown and but I want to go out with 2012 Balotelli. I want that year Balotelli. You know, he's just won the Premier League. He's loving life. He's throwing money around. I think him at the club would be a lot of fun in that um, camouflage Bentley that he used to drive around. I think, you know, the, the real the real class. That, and he would get you into the good clubs, right? I think Ray Parler would take you to a great pub. But when you want to go to a club afterwards, that's where Mario comes in. Like, he Man. really comes into his own at that point. And I, from what I've heard, he kind of tore up the Milan nightlife while he was here. Oh, a hundred percent. And man, there was this very weird thing. Like I was very young with my friends, but for example, my friend Michael, he went way more to clubs than I did. And he like, he bumped into big time football players just in the VIP section of a regular club. (laughs) But when you leave the VIP section and go to the toilet, you bump into them. And I don't know, it feels like in the early 2010s, maybe a bit before that, 2007, 2008, 
the exclusiveness of a club was less exclusive than mm-hmm. it is now. So it was easier to bump into players like that. And he did, like one time, they got a table at a club. He sat down, turns around, and it's a Santon, Balotelli, and the Inter oh. youth team just parting there. <laughs> and you know Michael. He was just like, oh, shit. Like he froze, just looked at them and said, Forza Inter, guys. And they were like, hey, thank you, man. And probably <laughs> shat he was, himself. He was and staring at them for three hours before he said anything. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. They probably turned around and told him, dude, just yeah, say no. it. And, yeah, what are you doing? Forza Inter, guys. <laughs> Shat his pants, left the club. My second pick, let's stay in Milan. It's two former Inter players, both Brazilian. I'm going to go with Mike Hon. Mike Hon. Oh. Apparently, there are stories all over the place about him being a heavy drinker um, and enjoying a good night out. So, And I also have a lot of stories that I want to hear from him. Um, so it's my con, really. This is, this is my second one. I seem to remember Mourinho talking about a game. He was benched in a game where he was supposed to start. And uh, they asked Mourinho why years later like for that game he didn't play and it was just like he just showed up smelling like booze <laughs> it was a night game so the, the hangover was so intense that he like kept going until 9 p.m so there are was... a lot i've just googled it there are a lot of headlines of mike on drunken into training <laughs> yeah, you see, no, maybe maybe it was training like he kicked him out of training one time it was just like nope you're not gonna train and mike on apparently smelled like booze or something like that well i but, also yeah. feel like you know if i had ever made it as an elite athlete i would like to <laughs> have been the type that could go on a night out and still put in a shift on a Saturday. I think that breed does exist, right? These players, Mycon was the one of the best left backs, right backs, I never get this right, in the world at one point, until Gareth Bale turned up, he was one of the best in the world. So I think this guy was like putting in sessions and putting in performances. Like I think that's more impressive than like a Ronaldo who's just like completely committed. I think it's more boring, boring, (laughs) boring. No, but one thing uh, recently we were talking about it on Saturday is Wesley Snyder. What has happened to the man? The man is like, is just become a sort of ball kind of. Um, But I love that this interview that we released recently where he said, well, one night I had a big night out with my wife and a few friends in Milan. And God, did I get drunk. And the next day, I started at the 3 p.m. game and I assisted the goal and I scored another one. So that day, I told myself, you can't keep doing it, Wes. And I was just like, no, dude. It was supposed <laughs> no, to be you the... can. You can. <laughs> yeah, but it was supposed to be the one-off. You know, like, no. Instead, he said, you know what? This is going to be my lifestyle from now on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, th- th- this is a superstition. Now I have to do it. Like, yeah. I have to do it, coach. Just let me drink some vodka on the side. <laughs> All right, Rory, off you go. We My last choice, again, when you think about football and you think about alcohol, straight away, the club that comes to mind is Bayern Munich. Mm-hmm. Now, they famously, whenever they win the league, which is every year, they celebrate on the pitch with beer, pouring beer on top of each other. They all go out for Oktoberfest when me and the um, significant other, me and the, the better half, we went out to Munich and the for Oktoberfest and the Bayern players were there all being celebrated. So beer is very much a big part of their culture. Who in the Bayern team would I most like to drink with? Thomas Muller. Yes. I think that guy <laughs> is an absolute maniac. Um, I think he'd also obviously know his beer so he can point out 
the the nice pints to get at the beginning of the night. So Paula picks the pub, Muller picks the beer, Mario picks the picks the club. I think we're onto a pretty good night. Um, but yeah, just Muller's general vibe on the pitch, um, how he just screams quite a lot. I think get a few beers in him, he's like the life and soul. I don't think I'm going to be speaking much on this night out. I've got three very loud people. <laughs> and I'm loud. I'm very loud. <laughs> Who are the three again? I repeated the recap. So, the Mario names. Balotelli, Ray Parler, and Thomas Muller. I think these people have never been in the same room before. I'm willing to put... I'm going to Google their names and see if a picture comes up. Continue, sorry. <laughs> and finally, my third name, another Brazilian. Who could it be if not the emperor himself, Adriano? And here, man, we would just... Beside the fact that it's Adriano and he always has a smile on his face... Definitely always keen for a drink. He would turn up to the Irish pub with flip-flops, a swimming suit, and a tank top. That would be his outfit. And he, I, imagine me, Adam Fowler, Mike Conn, and Adriano sitting at the t- same table. And Adriano is wearing flip-flops in March in Milan. It's just amazing. So, <laughs> for, unfortunately for Adriano, alcohol was a problem indeed at some point in his career. It feels like he's doing much better, but he often posts a video where he just has like a, a small beer in his hand. So definitely still drinking. But Rory, the last name that we, the notable mention that is not even a notable mention, we should have included him. He's probably listening and he's pissed. Jamie Vardy. How oh, not think we, I feel like you'd end Jamie. up in a fight with Jamie Vardy. Yeah, <laughs> you see, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. Then like something bad would start happening. Like, I, I feel like know. you'd be in the kebab house. And someone would look at him, and before you know it, he's like charged with GBH, and you're being you've been involved somehow. I feel like it would get a bit angsty with Jamie, but I definitely it'd be a story to tell people. It'd be a story. Beautiful stuff. Um, what about managers off the top of your head? If you had to pick a manager to go on for a drink with, current Premier League manager I'd most like to have a drink with. Um, Oh, I don't know. It's a tough one, yeah. Off the a top quiet, of my head. Jurgen Klopp, bang. Yeah, have a beer with Jurgen Klopp. Yes, please. Why not? In Italy, I'm trying to think. A manager in Italy that I would like to get a drink with. Not really coming to my mind. Um, it would seem pretty boring, really. Um, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I'm thinking... Definitely not Allegri. Definitely <laughs> Mazzari? I don't know. That guy seems pretty interesting. Yeah, Mazzari. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe not, or maybe not. I don't have an answer to this question. But this was it for our weekly topic. I really enjoyed this uh, Irish session. And uh, let's jump to the outro. We're going to preview the biggest fixtures across the Serie A and the Premier League upcoming this weekend. And what better way to wrap up our episode than previewing these weekend's clashes, both in Serie A and the Premier League. It all kicks off tonight, listeners, at 6.45pm with Sassuolo taking on Spezia. Sassuolo weren't able to win against Salernitana. It would have been four consecutive draws uh, for the Nero Verdi. Instead, they were pulled back uh, at the very death of time. On the other side, we've got the Spezia. Spezia with a very crucial win against Cagliari last week. They're seven points above the relegation zone. Will they keep fighting or are they ready to go on the beach? 
Then at 9 p.m. we've got Genoa Torino. Genoa, the masters of draws. Seven consecutive gray boxes in my football app. They take on Torino. Torino haven't won a game in Serie A in a long time. When, are you asking? The last game they won was on January 15th. Since then, just draws and losses. Will they be able to win against Genoa? Or will it be Genoa who finally get a green box? Watch and find out. On Saturday, we've got Napoli-Udinese at 3 p.m. to keep the title hopes alive. And Inter taking on Fiorentina at 6 p.m. This is going to be a rough That's a big game. one. That's a big one. It's a big one. Fiorentina kind of up and down. They can do it all. They can win. They can draw. They can lose. They won their last game against Bologna with a pretty comfortable 1-0 goal by Chris, uh, by Torreira. Sorry. The game before, they drew against Ellas and the one before even. They lost to Sassuolo, but they managed to beat Atalanta. Very unpredictable team. Inter, are they predictable? I don't know anymore, man. We can win at Anfield and then risk losing a game at Torino. I really this don't is know. a big test for Inter. This is a big test for Inter. Look, you need that I'm, win. You need I'm, that win. I'm, if we don't win this game, I think the Scudetto is just gone forever. Also because the game after this one is against Juventus. Look, yeah. I, I'm look. I'm talking to a few Inter fans and they're telling me that I'm very pessimistic and that I, we're I only... I think you're being pessimistic. But... We have one game behind. We are one game in hand. If we win it, we're one point below the top. But I, I don't know, man. I'm not feeling confident that this title is going to be brought home well this is the first step towards it beating Fiorentina at 6 p.m and it's really a Saturday for the uh, fighting for the title because AC Milan at 8.45 will be playing in Cagliari AC Milan with two consecutive cynical draws I want to say however unable to score more than one goal across their last four games Cagliari they need a win if they want to stay up I think it's going to be an interesting fixture it continues on Sunday with Venezia Sampdoria at 12.30 Empoli Ellas Verona at 3 p.m Juventus Salernitana at the same time and then the big derby the Roma derby and they really liked what James Horncastle said on the Totally Football show I hope that with the season he's having Tammy Abraham manages to score in the Rome mm. Derby because it would be just fun to see Tammy Abraham yeah. become a giallorossi hero with a crucial goal oh, against I Lacto. love how well he's doing in Serie A. I absolutely love it. Called up however, to the England squad, Tammy Abraham, yes. However, careful there because Lazio are in good form and they've had a long time to prepare this fixture because uh, Roma, of course, had to play also in the Conference League. So it's going to be a fight. I think I'm definitely going to watch it. And then at 8.45 p.m., we've got Bologna-Atalanta to wrap up the football weekend. Let's take it to England. England, Premier League, let's do it. So starting on Friday, we have Wolves taking on Leeds United. That is today for you guys. Um, Leeds... Finally got their first win under Jesse Marsh, their first win in five. Wolves were on a three-game losing streak, but they've now won the last two. This is going to be a pretty interesting game. Wolves, we've said, have been one of the kind of overachieving teams this year. Leeds, one of the underachieving teams this year, but they have been much improved under Jesse Marsh. I think that's a great game to kick off the weekend. Then on Saturday, we only have one game. One game, and it is Aston Villa taking on Arsenal. 
Arsenal, of course, fresh from that defeat against Liverpool, their first defeat in five, um, six even, sorry. Um, and Villa, having just lost to West Ham, have now won three of their last five. This is a big test for Arsenal. It's about bouncing back. It's about forgetting that Liverpool result. Um, in the previous match, Arsenal did win 3-1 goals from Partey, Aubameyang and Emil Smith-Rowe. But that was one of the final games before Dean Smith was unfortunately, or fortunately, if you're a Villa fan, fired. So this will be an interesting game to see if Arsenal can keep the momentum going. Coutinho, I get the feeling he always scored against us when he was at Liverpool. I'm pretty terrified about him doing the business against us. Then on Sunday, we have two Premier League games. We have Leicester taking on Brentford. Brentford, with their win last weekend, giving themselves a bit of breathing space. They are now eight points clear of the relegation zone. Leicester... 12th kind of should be on the beach, but if Brentford win this, they can go level on points with the Foxes, which is a bit mad. And in their last game, Leicester did win 2-1 goals from Tielemans and Madison. This will be a good game of football. I think two teams that play like to play nice football. And then the Premier League game of the weekend, I'm going to say, on Sunday, Tottenham taking on West Ham. Now we know... The Tottenham do win, lose, win, lose, win, lose, win. So this is going to be a lose. That's how it goes. I think this is a pretty tough game for Tottenham. Their record against West Ham isn't actually that great. They beat them in the League Cup this year, but they have lost the previous, or they've not beat them in the league since June 2020. Um, West Ham have beaten them the last two times in the Premier League. The last one being a 1-0 win with, of course, Michael Antonio getting the goal. I think this is going to be a fantastic game. Two teams battling out for that top four spot. West Ham, I think Antonio and Cresswell could be injured. They could be back. It's all a bit in doubt at West Ham at the moment. But, of course, I am hoping they win. But the headlines in England this weekend on in the Premier League. Our focus switches to the FA Cup. Now, Tommy, did you hear... Go Did you it. hear about Chelsea's antics this week? Uh, well, which antics? I've oh, they won't be allowed any fans at the state. Oh no, they tried to get the other team to play without their fans, so it would be more fair to them. In the name of sporting integrity. Now, as we said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly, and we'll get to um, we'll get to how ridiculous a phrase that is, ooh. but but all the goodwill <laughs> that Tuchel and the Chelsea players have been building up has completely been blown away by the people above them. So what they did is they made an, they applied to the FA to say that it's not fair that all away fans won't be there. So Middlesbrough, a championship team, one of their biggest games in years, the first time they've got to a quarterfinal in the in the FA Cup since a long time ago. I'm going to say the last quarterfinal they got was in 95... No, 2007 was the last time they were in a quarterfinal of an FA Cup. This is their biggest game in years, and they wanted their fans not to be there. It's a ridiculous request. A really, like, just cynical, horrible thing to do. Thankfully, well, what happened was um, Steve Gibson, the owner of Middlesbrough, released a statement saying for Chelsea to use the phrase sporting integrity is incredibly... is ironic to the highest degree, I think is a phrase he used. Um, and they later withdrew their request. So it will be a full house at the Riverside, I imagine. Friend of the pod, Colin, is going. And I really, really hope 
Borough can get a result here. As we've seen, they've already knocked out United and Spurs. If they can get a third scalp, they'll be into the semi-final of the, of the FA Cup for the first time since 2006 when they lost to West Ham 1-0 the year that of the Gerrard final, right? For Chelsea, the FA Cup has kind of evaded them. They've lost their last two FA Cup finals, the last two FA Cup finals, to Arsenal and Leicester. Um, but they're in great form. They've not lost in 13, um, only drawing two of those games against Brighton and Liverpool. So they are in fantastic form. It's going to be rough for Borough. For them, they are chasing the playoffs in the Championship. They're currently seventh, one point behind sixth. Up the borough. I really hope they can do it. Um, the other games we have, Crystal Palace versus Everton. Now, for Everton, they, they are currently playing Newcastle. And as it stands, they it is still nil-nil. Um, do Everton need this distraction? I'm not sure. I think it could either be a great distraction. They get a result and it builds some morale, builds some momentum. They remind themselves that they can win. Or it could just be an other way for them to lose morale. I think... This could be quite bad. Crystal Palace have been in good form recently. Um, of course, that nil-nil draw against Man City, the only team in the Premier League to prevent City from scoring this season. Um, wow. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. Um, their players, Mark Gwehi and Conor Gallagher, have been called up to the England squad. We've talked about it so many times. It's an exciting young team. Michael Olise, just you should watch Palace at every opportunity. They are a very entertaining team. For Everton, I fear for them. In general. Then the last two semi-finals we have Southampton taking on Man City. Probably Man City are going to win. Um, City haven't reached the final since 1819, but they lost the semi-finals in the last two years. So this is a it could be a big step for them to get into the final. Uh, Southampton last reached the semi-final all the way back in. Oof, I've lost the year. But they lost to Leicester. Who knows who's going to... Like Southampton... You've no idea what performance they're going to put in. They are definitely inconsistent, but I think City should get past this. Then the final quarterfinal, a game that just screams 90s Premier League football at me, Nottingham Forest taking on Liverpool. This is like a very, very 90s tie. I really like it. The last time these two teams met was all the way back in 1999. It was a two-all draw. Jamie Redknapp and Michael Owen scoring for Liverpool. Dougie Freeman and Pierre Van Hoydonk, that guy, scoring for Forrest. Forrest, again, have knocked out Arsenal and Leicester, been on a great run. They are on the same points as Middlesbrough in the championship this year. So they're in eighth place, chasing the playoffs themselves. I think this is like, that's a, it feels like a proper FA Cup tie. I'm excited about that game. So FA Cup weekend. And I'm going to pat myself on the back, Tommy. I've actually remembered FA Cup weekend. All last season, I kept forgetting when the FA Cup was on. Beautiful. I'm also going to pat myself on the shoulder because I was going to interrupt you when you said that Manchester City... I'm tired. When you said that Manchester City haven't reached the final since 1819, I was thinking of the date, like literally 1819, and I was just like... I was about to call you off. I was like, Roy, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I was like... With, with my mind, I was just saying, like, wait a second, 1819, that's Napoleonic time. We'll like, have to get AFC <laughs> Finners on to check who made the FA Cup final that year. We'll have to ask. <laughs> the FA didn't exist. I know, know, Tommy. No, I, I know. know. Think that I know only because of AFC Finners. Guys, it's time to wrap this shit up. Let's wrap it up. We are going to talk to you again on Monday night to review everything that has happened in the leagues, but especially... 
Oh my God! To start previewing, you nervous, Tommy? Are you nervous? Oh, I don't want to think Are you about nervous? it. To start previewing, oh God, the qualification to the, the funny World thing Cup. Is, and we're going to talk about it on Monday. But the funny thing is, I'm going into this international break being like, "Oh, let's see which exciting young players we can play." And you're absolutely terrified. I feel like it's a real reversal of roles. I'm really terrified. Um, <laughs> but we're going to talk to you live on YouTube and Twitch on Monday night. For the time being, remember to follow us on our social media at AngloItalianPod on Instagram. Boom. At ItalianAngloPod on Twitter. Boom. And to give a follow to our sponsor, I was going to say a sponsor to our follow at Sports Club Maps. Rory, anything to say to our listeners before I send them off with our quote? Up the Bora. Here we go. FA Cup. Woo! And the quote is from the man himself, a man that the podcast loves. And if you don't like him, just we don't care. His name is Diego Simeone, who in the press conference after the game had the balls to say the following. Without Real Madrid's super midfield, Ronaldo would have never knocked out Atletico with his tap hands. He's nothing without service. And today's game proved just that. Let that sink in, boys, and have a good weekend. Also, girls, talk to you later.